When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm speaking with Teresa H. Danson about her debut novel, The Ways of Water. One of the things that we learn from historical fiction is how tough people had it in the past. That's not to undercut the troubles of the present, which certainly include great poverty and strife. But the past is so often seen through the eyes of aristocrats, even royalty, that it's easy to overlook how hard things were for ordinary people trying to make a living. Teresa H. Jansen opens a window onto that vanished, or perhaps not sufficiently vanished, world at the very beginning of her novel. My story is twined, like rope, with that of my kin. The first strand began to fray when Mama, a city girl from Austin, fell in love with a Louisiana railroad man. As Papa ran the steam locomotives across the great deserts of the West, Mama followed him. Steam engines always follow water, and we did too. When Papa came home, he stalked out to the wells, drew up a bucketful, smelled it, and leaned over for a look. There's something fouling the water. He let down the bucket again. I can't get to it. I have a mind to send somebody down. He scanned the clump of family until his eyes settled on me. Josiebel, you're the one. I hid behind Mama's skirt. I can do it, Charlie said. You're too little. Josie's just right. And now, please join me in welcoming Teresa H. Jansen. Hi, Teresa. I look forward to talking with you today. Hello, Carolyn. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. As I mentioned in the introduction, The Ways of Water is your debut novel. How did you get started writing fiction? I began by uh, interviewing my grandmother. I had never intended to write fiction about her life, but I was very close to my grandmother. And when I was in my 20s, I would often visit her in her nursing home, and I would ask her questions about her childhood. And I had the foresight to write them down, never with the intention of, of writing it. Uh, but later on, uh, as I um, grew older and looked back at her stories, 
uh, I had a, a strong need to to get her story out into the world. And so I began writing it as biography and soon realized that to give it life and give it voice, uh, that I would want to bring it forward as, as in her voice, and I would need to do that as fiction. And how did you actually get into the process of, I, I understand where the story came from, but how was the, um, the writing of it for you? Was it easy or difficult? I think it's a challenge to turn some nonfiction into fiction. And the reason why I felt the need to do this is because there were gaps in her story. Uh, there were inconsistencies. And when I interviewed other family members about events of her past, stories she told them, there were different versions of them. And so I had to make uh, choices about uh, which of the stories and which of the versions I included. And then I needed to uh, make transitions. And that's where the fiction writing really came in. And I think anyone writing historical fiction, um, particularly if it's based on research, has to make a lot of choices about uh, what stays in and what details uh, are not necessary to to advance the narrative. So yes, I, I definitely went through that process. And how did you make those decisions? I tried to stay true to the person she was. There were times I would even say I, I channeled her energy a bit. In other words, I, I realized as I wrote that every fact wasn't necessary uh, to align with her story. But what I really wanted to do was to stay true to her personality and to the the main uh, essences of her experience. And, and I think I did that. So let's talk about Josie as, as you envision her, um, both as the element of your grandmother, but your, your fictionalized version of her. Where is she in that passage that I read at this very early point in her life when she's six? What's happening around her? She's in New Mexico. It's about uh, 1906 or 1907. She is living in a little tiny tank town, and that's the name for the uh, towns that grew up around the railroads. Uh, the railroads back then uh, had to stop every 8 to 10 miles to fill up their water tanks. So they called the little towns tank towns, and they were off in the middle of nowhere. This one was in the Hornada del Marto, which is a part of southern New Mexico, north of Las Cruces. And uh, it was uh, grew up uh, because of the railroad, but also because of some nearby mining. And uh, water was everything to them. It was a very dry desert. And uh, this first passage uh, you know, reflects uh, the importance of water in their lives. And what does it reflect about her character? I mean, let's face it, she's sick. She doesn't have a choice about doing what her father asked her to do. But even so, we see her reaction to, to what is happening. Yeah, she was a spunky uh, little girl and a, a spunky older woman as well. I really enjoyed her personality. She usually spoke from the heart, but she always maintained a very close uh, connections with her family and uh, her siblings uh, from the early days and until the end of her life, they were very close. Uh, so she was uh, torn between uh, 
following her own needs and desires, but also uh, caring for her family. She's actually a middle child. She has two older sisters and a younger brother in that very early scene, and then other siblings um, come along as the years go by. Uh, but even though she's a middle child, she does feel this very strong responsibility to guard and protect her family, more even than her older sisters do. Where does that come from? I think just a, a love, a love of family. Uh, many times uh, in the story, but also later in her life, uh, the siblings came to each other's rescue. And I think it was really beautiful. I tried it to bring forth uh, those relationships uh, in the book. Um, and it was a, a pretty tough uh, place, a pretty tough time, those first two decades in the 20th century for those trying to make it in the arid West. And her older siblings knew they just had to take care of themselves. And whenever they had to leave to to go make it on their own, they did. And so her being a middle child, she was the one left when, when the family life really unraveled due to several circumstances. Uh, she, she was the one who was still there. And so she took on that role. So I'm going to ask you about her older sisters, Irene and Ida May, as they appear in the book. But I'm also thinking, as I'm listening to you, that these may be people that you knew as well as your grandmother. Did you know any of the of her brothers and sisters? I knew her brother, Charlie. Uh, he became a coal miner in Washington State, and I knew him when I was very young. Uh, her sisters uh, lived in the Southwest, and so I did not get to know them yeah. before they passed. Okay, so who are they in your book, Irene and Ida May? They are probably Josie's best friends, her her two older sisters. Uh, Irene had an important role in that she uh, married a rancher uh, from that area of New Mexico, and she remained when uh, Josie and her family had to leave uh, due to some circumstances, and Josie began her own odyssey through the Southwest as a, a journey in, in finding herself and also creating a life, uh, Irene stayed and she was uh, kind of the rock that uh, helped out also with the care of the, the family uh, as circumstances changed. And so in many ways, she symbolizes uh, those who did stay in that, that arid valley. You mentioned that Charlie becomes a coal miner, but that's much later in his life. Um, Josie is especially close to him uh, during most of the book. Um, so tell us a bit about him and about their relationship. They're opposites in some ways. Yes. Um, he he helped her through some, some difficult times later in the book. Uh, interestingly, he also helped her through some difficult times later in her life. Uh, so he was a... a, a delightful uh, individual and a dear brother to her. I'm asking also a little bit about his character. He seems um, very cheerful and and loving and uh, responsive. How did you see him? At the same way, um, he uh, also did what he could, but another role he had in the book is he was a male. And we see a pattern where um, at that time, in the West, uh, women and men had very different roles and expectations. 
and Josie had to deal with that too. Uh, she was a young woman trying to make it in a man's world, and uh, there were challenges she had that her brother did not. He also was able to eventually uh, leave. He joined the Navy uh, while Joyce, Josie had a role as, as caregiver still. The book is divided into parts, uh, named after the places that Josie's family moves, uh, which are mostly but not exclusively in the U.S. Southwest, and the years when she lives in each one. What makes the the family so peripatetic, and what do we need to learn about this time in U.S. history, which is basically 1900 to 1920 as a result? Uh, I studied history in university and taught history, and I'm fascinated by it. And as I heard stories about my grandmother's life, uh, I realized that this was an exceptional period of time. Uh, There were so many changes happening in the world, uh, partly due to technology, uh, but also world events. For example, uh, the events leading up to World War I, uh, changes in uh, mining situations in that area, a lot of boom and bust. Uh, tremendous growth and then and then bust. Uh, also, of course, the pandemic, uh, the flu pandemic happened at that time. And then following World War One, there was a Great Depression. Uh, there was prohibition uh, and women got the vote. And she lived through all this time and all this change. And it was fascinating to me uh, how she and her peers weathered that. And uh, also, I, I saw many parallels with our times. Uh, big changes in technology can often be uh, rather dizzying for us and uncomfortable at times. And I tried to reflect how different characters in the book uh, shifted and dealt with those changes in their uh, reality. She has a rather on-again, off-again relationship with her father, Harry, uh, and I mean that not just in the literal sense, which is determined by his job, but also in the emotional sense. Uh, We've talked about him a little bit as a railroad man, but he's also a rather difficult parent for other reasons. What's his story? Uh, Her father was an alcoholic. Uh, He was a skilled railroad engineer. Uh, He was blackballed at a certain point, and uh, so then... Uh, their became their lives became even more itinerant as he had to seek different uh, employment in mining towns and uh, uh, at one point he he worked uh, when they were constructing the elephant Butte dam he worked for the railroad that was supplying uh, parts for the the dam construction uh, so that was a great hardship for the family his absence and all railroad men then, uh, were gone most of the time. They uh, they just had to make these long runs and weren't able to get back to their families. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you know, the issues of his uh, addiction uh, were very difficult for the family. And uh, so although she would tell stories about how much she loved her father, particularly during the good times when she was very young, uh, the changes in his situation were very difficult for the family, too. So I tried to reflect not only uh, the hardships around his alcoholism, but also uh, 
the good character he had and tried to remember that everyone has wonderful aspects to their personality uh, along with uh, some some problems they have to overcome. Joseph's mother, in contrast, is the family's rock. Uh, tell us about her. Well, she was a, a dear, loving person. I did not know her. I only know her through my grandmother's stories. Uh, and she was the rock. And that's one reason why uh, the, the changes in the plot, uh, her death, uh, led to such uh, hardship for the family. Of the various places that Josie and, and uh, her family live, there are two that stood out for me. The first is the Jornada del Muerto in New Mexico. Uh, can you describe that area and what it was like for the Gore family in the early 1900s? Yes. Uh, it, this was called Jornada del Muerto. It was a Spanish word meaning, meaning the, the journey of the dead man. And it was the part of New Mexico that the uh, Camino Real uh, was was part of this route, and that was the route that the Spanish made between Mexico City and Santa Fe uh, to carry goods. And they uh, had to cross this waterless desert area. Originally, the Camino, and most of the way, followed the Rio Grande. But on this section, the Rio Grande, the banks were too uh, steep and too difficult for the ox carts, so they made a shortcut across this desert. Unfortunately, there was no water. Many people died from thirst, but also attacks by robbers or perhaps by Indians. And uh, it, it came to have this name. And it really was a desolate spot. Uh, many people, ranchers, miners, railroad people, tried to uh, settle here and in the end were unsuccessful. Uh, it is now... Uh, a barren area, uh, still not much water, and I think it's part of a few pretty big uh, ranching syndicates at this point. But uh, it was also a beautiful place, uh, a peaceful place, and I tried to bring out uh, the both the beauty and uh, the desolation of this area. And the second area you mentioned, I think, was uh, the desert, the area in Chihuahua, where the family moved, uh, and Josie had great memories of this uh, area. It was also uh, dry and, and rather uh, desert-like. However, she had wonderful memories of uh, riding horses bareback across the grasslands, and they uh, had very good relations with their Mexican neighbors there. And so uh, what was fascinating to me is uh, the, the place in history at this time, it was right as the Mexican Revolution was gaining strength. And they eventually had to leave because it was no longer safe for her father to run the train. Uh, Pancho Villa and some of the other uh, vigilantes were attacking the trains at that point uh, to obtain arms for their uh, revolution. And uh, Josie, as I remember, uh, really enjoyed being in Chihuahua until the revolution. She was not happy about having to leave, despite the fact that it was a fairly desolate part of northern Mexico. Yes, uh, I think some of her happiest memories were there in Mexico. She learned to play the harmonica. She learned some Spanish. Uh, her sisters uh, became fluent in Spanish at the time. I, I do think it was a happier time. Uh, 
and of course the family was intact. So yes, um, I tried to bring out uh, those joyous times in the book, as well as uh, the journey she eventually had to go on uh, because of change in circumstances. One theme of, of her journey toward adulthood, and this comes out quite early in the book, so it's, it's not particularly a spoiler, is her desire to attend school, which seems so basic to us now. I mean, kids always complain about being at school, but having universal education is, is a real gift to people. Um, and at one point, she even dreams of becoming a teacher, uh, but she does not succeed, really, in getting an education. What makes it so difficult for her? Yes, I have to go back. My, mother, my grandmother always used to say to me, enjoy your your uh, education, make the most of it. And she was always asking me about my schooling and encouraging me. And it was only later that I realized how much it meant to her that her children and grandchildren had those opportunities. Yes, uh, I think she probably only went to school until about the age of 11. Uh, and even then, I think the schooling was sporadic. She probably did most of her learning at home. Uh, her mother had grown up in the city, had attended school, and was able to teach her children at home. But I think it uh, reading these stories, particularly um, about some of the uh, early pioneers in this country, it makes you appreciate what we have. I think that's some of the uh, beauty of reading historical fiction is that you realize uh, others uh, before us suffered possibly more, uh, very often uh, had uh, greater struggles than we have. And I think it often can help us put things in perspective and appreciate what we have. Yes, I agree. I mean, none of her siblings really get a good education except Ida Mae, who has to leave home to do it. That's right. Yes, she had to to make it happen for herself. There's a very beautiful passage very early in the novel where Josie explains why she's telling her story. Uh, she says, The places have disappeared under the cover of sand. The people have gone to ghosts. And Mama's grave is vanished and unvisited. I'm the only one left who remembers. So I won't ask you what she means because the point of the book is to find out. But I am wondering what it was like for you to spend what must have been months, if not years, in the heads of these vanished ghosts. Yes, one of the joys of writing this book, uh, beginning with the notes that I took from my grandmother, was visiting all the places where her, where she lived and where the book takes place. And I did go to the Jornada del Muerto, and I did go looking for the graves of my great-grandparents. And uh, they are covered with sand. Uh, I would say Cutter and Engel, where they lived for much of her childhood, uh, are barely discernible. A few boards in the sand, maybe a building or two. They're uh, ghost towns, if that. Um, and visiting Tucson and visiting Bisbee and San Francisco and so many of the places uh, that she lived uh, was eye-opening and a, a really joyful experience. Um, so, yes, uh, writing it was uh, illuminating for me, and it, as I said before, made me appreciate even more uh, what they went through. 
So there comes a point in a story where I hesitate to ask for too many details because, you know, we do want people to read the book and find out the truth for themselves. But are there any characters or incidents that I haven't brought up that you would like listeners to hear about? One of the characters uh, in the book was Marv Fenton, and he was an older man that was a help to the family. Uh, And I follow him from the Hornada, he eventually ends up in San Francisco. And he reflects, I think, a lot of uh, the people at the time and how uh, confusing the changes in technology were for them. Uh, he was not comfortable with automobiles. He didn't like the way it speeded up life for so many people. And I, I really wanted to look at that uh, partly as a contrast or a comparison to the way many of us feel today with technology. Every generation, uh, particularly in the last you know hundred or so years, have held, had to deal with these big shifts that do change our lives in many ways. They change our communication patterns. Uh, you know, Josie saw the advent of radio and television and the automobile. And, of course, computers uh, were just coming in uh, later in her life. And I, I just uh, think it's, it's helpful to look at uh, the patterns that, that of the past to give us perhaps hope and courage that we, too, can, uh, you know, uh, learn, learn to deal with these new technologies, make them work for us but also realize, you know, perhaps how it's changing us and, and the way we are living. Uh, the other uh, comparison that I thought was interesting is that the time I did my research was uh, long before our COVID pandemic. And I found that research on the influenza pandemic fascinating and hardly believable at times. And little did I know when I was doing that research that uh, I would live through a similar pandemic. And uh, it was almost uncanny, some of the parallels. Uh, And so that was another very interesting part of the research. And then uh, comparisons with nowadays uh, with, with what she experienced in the book. I think you may have already answered this question, but what would you like people to take away from the ways of water? I think more than anything, it's the fact, uh, what we get from historical fiction, it's the fact that whether these events happened 10 years ago or uh, several hundred years ago, the people are basically the same. They still feel deeply. They sense the same way. They have many of the same needs for self-respect and to be heard. And we still have a a need to belong. And I think many of the uh, themes that come from the book are these basic needs, which we share with those characters. And what if you are, you already working on another book? Uh, yes, I'm working on a memoir about an extraordinary year of my life. Uh, I also enjoy writing essays and short fiction, and I'm working on a collection of short fiction. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Teresa. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I've really enjoyed talking about the book, and I hope uh, everyone enjoys reading it. And thank you for listening to our podcast.
Once again, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I've been talking with Teresa H. Jansen about the ways of water. Find out more about her at TeresaHJansen.com. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at New Books Network. You can find out more about me and my books at cplesley.com, where I blog about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network.